This is Magnolia Leadership Podcast, heart, soul, and earth aligned. I'm Katherine Miller, a holistic practitioner of 30 years and your host. Join me as we discuss what it means to lead from the sacred feminine. Magnolia Leadership is here to guide you home, remind you of your courage, awaken your deepest knowing, revealing your fullest expression, and supporting your beautiful blossoming. Welcome in. I'm thrilled to introduce you to Carol Gamble. I wanted to have Carol here today because she is a woman who has really been in the trenches of a career, a family, and has been a very involved advocate for women's issues throughout her life. She will be talking today about the structure of the system in corporate America and how to affect change there. Carol is, as I mentioned, a longtime women's advocate, and here she shares her real-world experience and the cost to herself of having both a full career, first as the second woman partner in a law firm, and then in corporate America, so balancing that career with family. Today, we will be discussing the cost to the self of really advocating for change, having and balancing a full career and family, and the emotional toll that can happen in these systems when we are not heard. She will get into real-world experiences in the trenches. She will talk about advocating for women, accidental careers, parenting adult children, a very important topic, consciousness-raising groups, true community as a critical part of the answer, how to get support to make change, really connecting with values as a way of intentionally moving forward and being very clear about who you are and what is important to you. Welcome to this great conversation with Carol Gamble. In Magnolia Leadership, we are exploring what it is like to be a leader from the feminine as a female-bodied person and also from this deeper place of what we're calling the feminine. Why that matters is that has been historically suppressed and we have been asked to participate in the world in a certain way that has been defined by the patriarchal system, which is the toxic masculinity, not all men, so that the masculine has taken the lead and women have had to participate in those systems in order to survive, make money, be successful, make an impact. So part of what we're looking at is in restoring balance is the more feminine aspect has to come back. That's why we're emphasizing. And when I say the sacred feminine, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about honoring and having reverence for the feminine. People don't do that easily because it has been suppressed made bad. It's something that we fear. It's not organized. It's not linear, right? right? And so it's this thing that people have a lot of discomfort around that it's it's in us. It's present. It's available. The place that you can feel it the easiest is in the creative process. So in this podcast, we're exploring all different angles to that. The last woman I spoke to today is the leader of a band. 
she is a female band leader, a really famous band. And she's talking about what is it to be a creative force in the music industry? We're talking about systems that are predominantly organized around these masculine principles. It's not that different from well, a- music, art, journalism, all of it. The fact that the New York Times didn't publish obituaries of women because they were of no importance in the man's structured world. If you start to go into it, you get kind of crazy. Like the more I think about it. Oh yeah. This is why it's uncomfortable. This is an uncomfortable territory because when we start to like really tap into it and through history or through our bodies or even through our minds, there's a lot of material and there's a lot of trauma. Well, and there's no structure for it because it's all structured around men, all of it. Exactly. That's why I feel like these conversations matter. And also it's why I'm not defining it because I feel like it's up to all of us women who hold power to add our particular thread to the conversation so that we're weaving something meaningful. And, you know, I I don't expect this podcast is going to answer that big question, but I do know that I, I have an obligation to myself. This is my alignment is when I, when I feel a stirring or a request from source, however you want to define that and knowing inside of me or something that comes through me, then I try to follow it as best I can. So part of this is just to really shed light on all of the different So the way I see this is like, we're all kind of projectors and within us, we have our gifts and our distortions. And as energy comes through us, we can bring that into the world and we can do that through our conversations, both of our gifts and our distortions, right? So that's why we're discussing this because I feel like so many different women who don't always have a place to talk about this, have something meaningful to add to this conversation. And I invited you here because. I think that you have a lot of wisdom that is beneficial and could help other women who are stepping onto the path. So that's why I want your voice included. So I welcome your perspective and any, any sort of insights that you have, but mostly just to be in this conversation. So as a woman who has been in a system and successful, right, in your own right and navigated, I think it is important that we share the story of that and also looking at not only what you accomplished but what you had to do that and what what are some of the things that you're seeing in hindsight that you might have done differently yeah it's the hindsight that's well I think think I'm moving through the journey of hindsight now okay so when do you think you started that inquiry not till I retired Mm -hmm. that's the thing and so as a woman in business, corporate, the corporate world, which I had never planned to be in to begin with, I didn't really know what it was. I think all I did was maybe make choices at the margins, but I never in my career questioned the whole structure, hmm. which is kind of where I am now. And I don't know any women who operated in that world who really challenged the structure hmm. because I think you would have been kicked out. Right. If if you or left, you would like you said you did. You right. you had to be within the structure and the amount you could push on it, that's up for discussion, I think. Mm-hmm. And I didn't push on it probably as much as I could have if I thought about it. 
but there were plenty of signs that the pushing I did do on it was not acceptable or comfortable to the men around me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it's very expensive to do that, even if you're successful. Expensive not in dollars, but in emotional currency in a man's world. Well, and you're saying that even your actual ability to survive is threatened. So I think you, I think it would be, yeah. Up, you might not have a job. Right. And so that's one of the mechanisms that keeps us in these systems, right? We have right. we have this need to survive and support our families. And so we stay and we find clever ways to impact and influence. Right. But we're not really changing the structure. We're just pushing on the edges of it, I think. So I think it's interesting that you're saying while you were in it, it wasn't really something that you were consciously engaged with, but now that you have more space in your life, you, you are thinking about it. Well, and I think that's the whole thing for women because the corporate world. So I was in a law firm first, Mm -hmm. which were very male in my law firm, which was a liberal San Francisco law firm. I was the second woman partner in the business group. Second, the law firm was formed in 1900. Wow. And I was the second. And then I ended up leaving anyway. And it's just, you know, how many women general counsel still are there? Not that many. And so to, Is that true? to be some, I don't know. there's some, okay. okay, not a few in big corporations, mm-hmm. more in Silicon Valley, I'd say. Mm-hmm. But to be in a business or a law firm structure and have children, for starters, that's sort of a full plate overflowing. And so then the idea of trying to change the structure, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to even think of it. I was trying to survive. You were just doing it. Yeah. Right. I didn't have much time for my husband. I had no time for myself. Okay. You so know. that's one of the costs. Right. One of the well, costs then- is to the self, which I think, you know, most of the women that I work with would say, right, in having a full career and a, and a family. There is something that gives. And most often. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you're saying you would like to have had more time for your marriage and also yourself. Right. But, and I knew that at the time, but the idea that you, the fundamentally, the system is toxic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would, I would see that once in a while. But then to move on from that, there's a like funny incidents that happened during both my law firm career and my corporate career where funny things would happen where I would see, oh, this is so much more toxic for women. This is so impossible. And my only answer to that is to shut that off. Because if I tried to deal with that as well, shut it off within yourself. Yeah. Just okay, not so you couldn't it. even let yourself have the awareness. Oh, only momentarily. And, but when I have an awareness of something being wrong, my instinct is to try to fix it. Of course. The one time I tried to fix it was actually in the law firm when mm-hmm. I was made a partner. I never wanted to be a partner in a corporate law firm ever. Uh, and I became a partner anyway. And then after I became a partner, they kind of showed me their inquiry of, they talked to clients and other lawyers and all the stuff about me. And they showed me what had been written. And I think if I could find that document today, I would find it. I only remember a few things from it, but basically it was sort of, 
not your usual partner, but her clients <laughs> really love her. And some people will like her, but some people will hate her, but her clients really love her. So I guess we'll make her a partner. It was kind of a back-ass thing. It was very funny. And, uh, and then <laughs> yeah. after they made, made me a partner, they had like the next year's partner meeting where they sat down and talked about the people. So like what I had mm. unknowingly been through the year before, now I was in the system and watching it. Mm. And I was so appalled by what I heard in those meetings that I literally went to the ladies room and threw up. Oh, wow. I found it so appalling. And I did come back from throwing up in my first partner meeting and say, this just is not okay. The way you're talking about these people mm -hmm. is not okay. Mm -hmm. mm. It was like I was a dodo bird. I mean, what are you talking about? This is how it's done. Yeah, Nobody even answered my comments about how they were talking about the people and how if they're going to say that someone is so weird that you would want to stuff him in the closet that they need to tell him that he's never going to be a partner because that's not okay. They just... It was like I hadn't spoken. Mm. And so wow, that's I never forgot really, it just because. Yeah. That's a potent example of what we're talking about, right? right. To not even be acknowledged as having a voice. Right. So it would make well, sense. Well, and that happens to women in the corporate world all the time. I mean, that happened to me all the time. But then I realized that sometimes I didn't, it was, it was kind of costly to force yourself to sit at the table and to try to repeat if you've said something you know, the classic example of you make a point or you make a suggestion, nobody pays attention, everybody just keeps talking. Five minutes later, some guy makes exactly the same suggestion and they jump on it and say how great it is. And no one acknowledges mm. that, that the woman said it five minutes before. And you um, have that experience. Oh, a lot. Later in my career, I cared even less and about you know what people thought and so I would say you know that I said that five minutes ago right and you're just ignoring it and would they respond no okay so <laughs> this is really so you got more authority I guess as you had more tenure well when you be when you become the general counsel and you're part of the c-suite the chief things right. you right. have more authority maybe mm -hmm. not to your equal sees the people around the table with you and not to the board of directors. So then, you know, then I got to take my not being listened to, to the boardroom. That's a whole different story. Mm. The people in the boardroom are all men. Mm -hmm. Most of the other executives are all men. Mm -hmm. If you make a comment that deals with the emotional impact on people or the unfairness to women, that certainly gets ignored. And they try all kinds of subtle ways to stand you down. And because women are trained to always be self-critical or introspective, or what could I have done better? How is this my fault? Mm -hmm. It's very detrimental when the men are just thinking they're having their little sword fight and you think someone's stabbing you in the chest. That it makes it, it wow. makes it a lot harder to deal. So you're saying the toll is emotional and psychological. Well, and for most women, it's financial. And right, right. And yeah, and, and in your work, I think you work more hours because you have to be better. You can't leave emails unresponded to. You can't leave problems out there. And for women who become lawyers, which is often why I tell people to really think hard about it, 
part of being a lawyer is problem avoidance. And a mom, same thing, problem avoidance. So not only are you doing everything, way. but you're also trying to avoid or think of all the problems that might happen so you can prevent them from happening. Mm. And that's very costly time-wise and emotionally and, and otherwise. So when you, so you were in it and it sounds like, I mean, I know you, so I know that the truth really matters to you and you were going through this thing and you could see it and the truth matters and there's this awareness and there's also this political climate that you have to participate in. Right. And right. you stayed the course, you, you stayed the course and you were successful. Yeah, some, enough that I didn't get promoted as quickly as I might have enough that I didn't get paid as much as I might have, because I, I would speak up and kick up shit that other people just wouldn't do. And there's, it's like very schizophrenic because one, if you're a woman and you do that, then it can be blamed on you being a woman. Oh, well, you care about things that aren't important, but also it could be, oh, you're a woman, so we don't have to pay as much attention to it either. Hmm. And if it turns well, out to be right, so you're kind of caught either way, I yeah, think. The double, double bind. Interesting. It's a, and to me, it was like, so you'll like this as a, <laughs> so in, when you're in a, when you're in a law firm, you don't have to do a lot of the human resources type things. You don't do Myers-Briggs personality tests and all those other kinds of things. But when you're in a corporation, that's a big switch because there's all that stuff all the time. And I found it fascinating and impactful, whereas most of the executive team derided it. They did it because, you know, they had to show up. But I always found it very interesting. And there was some exercise, I don't remember what it was called one day, where people put little um, sticky dots on your back to say what your personality was like, green, red, yellow, blue. Mm. And okay, red yes. was like the bull charging ahead, very mm -hmm. forceful, putting people down, right? The yellow was, oh, let's all get along. Same the blue one. was sort of the people who are introverted and never say anything. And the green was, oh, I want everybody to get along and be happy and uh, solve all the problems and be really creative mm -hmm. and caring about people, right? And you would walk around and people would just put these dots on your back. Mm -hmm. How and then at the end, you got to look at your dots. And my dots were half red, bull, charge ahead, terrorize people, tell everyone to do, and have green, green oh, yeah. let's support everybody, right? Mm. It's like they were the two polar opposites and nobody else, nobody else in That's the room really had that. And to me, that was a perfect example of my entire business career. Did that feel like your temperament or as things that had been conditioned? Like, I know you in a certain context. I can see both of those flavors in you, even now. Like it feels yeah, like no, that's who you are, right? You are, it is. and you hold both of those. So to me, that's leadership. And it's also a balance of the masculine and the feminine, right? The ability to charge ahead, chart a course, and then also the ability to hold the space for the human, the relational piece. So, But the people you deal with in the corporate world, I don't know because you never got to ask, but my guess is that women and people of less power saw me as so overpowering uh, a word that men like to use is bitchy bitchy yeah. right <laughs> and the people Great. who knew me better or worked with me more probably mm -hmm. the people who reported to me is my guess saw the opposite and so 
to me, it, it reflected that I had to be both things and they aren't super reconcilable. No. And no. it's hard. You have to... And of the other executives, nobody had, a, nobody had that. And how do you, how, and did you see that as an accurate reflection? Like if you had to put dots on yourself, would you pick those two? I would pick the green. Okay. That's because interesting. I don't, I never saw myself as super powerful or, you know, like when I would have a, like a power move victory, mm-hmm. I always saw that as so rare hmm. that I never saw that as an integral part of myself. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. But, and partly because I don't like it much that to, to me, the red is the buying into the male structure. Okay. So you would prefer to operate from the relational piece effectively and strategically. Okay. Right. But mostly business doesn't operate that way. And so how would you, where I keep thinking about now is when I thought I would talk to you about, or when we've talked about how I'd like to mentor women, I have to say, I was still thinking about it in terms of how to be yourself within a structure that maybe doesn't support that and how you could do that more. Let's talk about that. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I think, first of all, this is such valuable information to hear about, right? Real world experience in the trenches and what it's really like. Because it's one thing to sit here and talk about, you know, what does it look like to lead right, in all these different places? And you and I had a, a quick banter at the last conversation or I was, you were like, well, what you did is hard, like leaving the structure. And for me, yeah. I thought about that afterward. I was like, oh no, what you did is hard. I literally couldn't stay in it. So we all are meant to be affecting change in different points. But to me, the hard question is how do you create businesses or the music business, the law business, the art business? How do you create whole systems that aren't based on these male traits? And that only in the last couple of days, because we had gone that in our conversation, we'd gone as far as drop out or stay in. And I'm saying, right. yeah, but really for the world to be a successful place, the, for the world to survive, I think it has to be creating totally different structures that somehow the male humans buy into. And- well, or that they, you know, m- males are not the problem. It's the toxic masculinity of patriarchy. And so, you know, there are some, that's how I see it. Maybe you don't. There are men who would like to participate in more holistic, sustainable organizations. And but they aren't in charge, but they aren't in charge. And so. Right, right. But their power, that's a different kind of power. So, right. so what if, how have you, that's an interesting way of looking at that. Right. Because the dominant power system puts them in the same category as. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying it's so great for men either or for some men who want it to be different or for men whose wives demand that they do it differently. Mm-hmm. Okay. Whatever. So I'm curious what, that's an interesting bridge. Like there's the current system and operating within it to affect change if you can. And you're, you're saying like, it's hard as a woman with a family to do that, right? Cause there's only so much energy to go around, but there are different ways to do that. And I'd like to hear your ideas on that. And then there's getting out and creating a whole new paradigm. And you're saying like, how do we shift the current system to something like a hybrid, something, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't know the answer. So that you don't have to leave 
because now if you leave like you do, you're necessarily starting small. Right. And so your impact has to be, it's just smaller. It is. If you're in a fortune 500 company and you can have an impact, it's going to be bigger, but it's against a structure that's so strong. So I think, I think the biggest thing for women is I didn't think about any of this. What do you think about getting more women in? I mean, I think I saw a figure it's 8% of CEOs of fortune 500 companies, 8% are women. I mean, we think that we've come along. That's a pretty low number, right? And the statistics all show that when you have one woman in management or one woman on the board, doesn't really do anything. You need probably two or three, at least you need a, a critical mass. So supporting women in those positions and people do have that opportunity, even just in once you become someone who's going to hire someone. Mm-hmm. So you become a manager for the first time, hire more women. Okay. I did that. I had mostly women who worked for me. And the feel of our group, I have to say, was very different. Also, this is going to sound really funny, but the other, the second largest group I hired of people over time were gay men who Hmm. also have some often some of the same similar structural problems Mm -hmm. and issues. Mm -hmm. But my least successful hires, I would say, over my career were largely. Uh, straight men Hmm. they just didn't thrive in the same environment that are when I would have a bigger group in your organization in my Hmm. in my part of an organization Hmm. interesting yes so hiring is part of it but not the whole story well and then supporting people as they go along Mm -hmm. but also encouraging each person you work with to make, to, I think making, helping people feel legitimate. Hmm. I think in the corporate world, when you have different yes. views, and I'm sure from my reading that people of color have the same issue, not hmm. feeling legitimate, not feeling like they fit in. I still think women in corporations suffer from this. Mm-hmm. You can't make people feel a certain way, but you can certainly support their concerns and you you know every single woman who can be in these positions can support everyone else if nothing else just from a comment or a phone call or a lunch or anything so you're saying Uh, make an impact in your sphere of influence yeah as often as you can what about changing culture you're basically you're saying the culture doesn't support So I think the companies I worked with were probably more supportive of women than a lot of others are. Uh, Even just the, when I left a law firm and went in-house because I had two babies, um, I was, I put on the table that I was working, going to work part-time. And that's the job that I took. And everyone was nominally very supportive of this. So wait, this was as you went into a new position? When I went in-house from being in a law firm. Oh. I did that because I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine being a law firm partner, which I now was. Mm-hmm. And then I had two babies. Mm-hmm. I adopted a baby and I had a baby in so wait, eight how months. Old, and... How old were the babies when you said, said, I'm coming into this, but I'm doing part-time? I never, I never went back to the law firm. I, oh, okay. I, I adopted a baby. I found out I was pregnant. I had a baby. 
I had a sabbatical. I tried to use that to figure out how to manage two infants and be a corporate law firm partner. And I couldn't see a way to do it. So I spoke to some of my clients and said, I need to work part-time. Do you have a place for me Mm in-house? And again, with my, while some people will love her, some people will hate her. I did speak to the (laughs) clients who loved me and they offered me places in-house part-time. And so I never actually worked as a partner in a law firm with two infants because not only did you have to do the work and supervise your employees and be a, a partner, then you also had to go create business, get business, bring in business, business. be a rainmaker. Mm. Oh, could I go like play golf? I don't know how to play golf, but like <laughs> one of the things those guys did was go play golf. How long does it take to play golf? Like six or eight no hours? Are you kidding me? Yeah, no way. Mm. And there weren't at the time women going back to our prior conversation, for example, women general counsels, I see. where I could go and say, okay, here, I'm a woman, you know, give me your business. Mm-hmm. So when I was in-house, I always looked for women lawyers to give my work to, not all of my but work. You but you still entered into a corporate environment, part-time with two infants. Right. And I, I did really well in the beginning at working part-time mm-hmm. at first. But then your own personality takes over. And this the system isn't set up for part-time, even if people want to permit it. Mm-hmm. And certainly the legal system with lawsuits and mm-hmm. uh, final or, or big business deals where people are working around the clock. It's just not this the pacing and the time that we have for those things. So how did that work I, out for you? What did you end up doing with? I always, I, for years, I would work, say I'm working 60% time, I would work 80% time and get paid 60% time, a shrewd business move on my part. Mm-hmm. So I would always say I was working. And I, for a while, I did work less than full time. But also for me, full time was what other people would think of as 120, 130%, 140% time. So part of it was my personality and unable to leave things undone yeah, or to not, you know, and that that's a hard thing for lawyers and women lawyers in particular. Mm-hmm. The amount of work it requires to be at the top of your game, yes, doing the work, again, putting aside trying to become more important or powerful. And then the constant contentiousness of it. I mean, generally in our country, being a lawyer is a contentious thing. Yes. And I think that's a real struggle for women. Mm -hmm. And it was for me. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I mention that to people all the time. And that's why you see a lot more women in uh, family law, estate planning, arbitration, mediation, Mm -hmm. all things where you're having a creative... Mm -hmm cooperative engagement. Okay. So did you end up shifting back to full-time when your kids went to school or how did that? Well, I ended up working full-time after just a couple of years. Okay. Because I was, I wasn't getting paid full-time and I was working full-time. So that was like really dumb. And then when I had my third daughter, Kate, I only came back part-time for about six months. Again, I knew I wasn't going to get paid, Mm -hmm. but people were like, 
you know, no one in my whole life, no one ever questioned when I left to go to a soccer game or a school play or anything okay. like that. I did all those things. I just made up the time, not the time as in a time clock, but on the time of I felt sure. you know, I needed to work after they went to bed. Right. So the flexibility was in people saying, you know what your work is, you can get it done when you need to. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you were working, and then you'd shift direction to take care of the kids, show up for all their events, and then- But still working night, like a crazy person. Yeah, then late at night, you'd be cramming it in or get up early and right. do it. This is what we do. Right, right. Yeah. I yeah. love to read, so I would read starting at two in the morning. Mm. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, in the end, when the business I was working in the reincorporated in Ireland, and now there were phone calls with Ireland starting like at 6 a.m. Wow. So basically there was not even any, you know, there was, was no, no time. time where the business yeah, wasn't. No open. time. No time. Mm -hmm. And that's when I finally had to retire. Okay. Yes. So I, <laughs> I'm curious now that you have retired, you said you're having, you have more space to reflect. And I know that you do. There's also another part of the story that I want to highlight is just this isn't all that you've been concerned about. Like you've been concerned about women's rights in different areas, not just in the corporate sphere, right? right? And so, you know, I see you as someone who's really, even if you haven't been effectively advocating for change within the system through your whole career, as we have talked, I see you as someone who really cares deeply about what is happening with women, women's rights, women's reproductive health, the political power of women. Like there's, you're, you're holding a bigger picture than you're representing right here. Yes, that's true. Is it, am I getting yeah. it right? Yeah. Well, and I have three daughters, so. Yeah. Three, I only know one, but yeah, three daughters. Right. So you have, you're trying to set a legacy up for them to step into and. Well, you know, and I grew up marching for women's, I mean, I, you know, I was in high school. I was like a hippie. I grew up marching for women's rights. I thought that's. But tell us a little bit on. more of that part of your story. Cause I just, I want to, I want to paint the whole picture of who you are as an advocate for women. Right. How did you get into women's rights? How old were you? So in high school, when I was in high school, mm -hmm. I'm 70. Congratulations on school, making it to 70. <laughs> in New Jersey, girls, women, girls couldn't get birth control at all. Mm -hmm. So if you were a teenager and you had sex and got pregnant, you know. Planned Parenthood wasn't um, In New Jersey, in New Jersey, they couldn't unlike today where they will give kids birth control and even abortions, they couldn't do it. Uh, there were some doctors sort of under the table and a more enlightened mother of a friend of ours offered to try to help me do that. But it was already in my senior year of high school. And once I went to college in New York state and on campus, you could get birth control. But so women's, you know, women's rights, girls' rights, teenage girls' rights, so wait, did you um, get it with parents' permission or just you just couldn't get it? Oh, I suppose. You could get it, but you had to have your parents' permission. Yes. That's but right. you could, we forged our parents. I, mean, I don't know how oh. we did this, but we like forged our, sorry, mom, forged our parents' signature on some sort of document and where a Planned Parenthood participated with that. Was that in California? Tennessee. Oh, never mind. Tennessee. Wow. Yeah. Well, maybe yeah. I couldn't figure that out. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. Okay, so there was a time where 
women had to go around figuring this out for themselves. And that's when, that's what you're saying, the time period that you were stepping into women's rights. So no birth control access to speak of. And no. No. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe I should have, in hindsight, realized that I might later have infertility problems because I didn't get pregnant, but I, you know, Mm. that was interesting. But then I actually became a teacher. And so then that's the whole nurturing side. And that's a chance when you're a teacher, especially in middle school, you see the classic already the disparity between boys and girls and boys are making a lot more noise and causing a lot more trouble and getting a lot more teacher attention. And girls are already sort of pushing themselves down and being quiet and worried about the, what the boys will think and all of that. And so, so probably then I became more interested in supporting girls. That's when you, when you, even then. Okay. We've never actually talked about this, but I loved being a teacher and I thought it was a very rewarding profession. And for years, especially in my first year of teaching, which is 1973, 74, for years, even when they went to college, there was probably 10 kids who wrote to me, even though I'd stopped teaching Mm. and moved to California. But it was, it's it's so rewarding when you can reach. Yes kids I and love the age group too they're so conscious and also open I work with teenagers I don't know if you know that but I work with teenagers in my practice and I love the middle school and early high school because they're, they're harder in groups of 30 or 35 <laughs> yes. I would say yes I mean I have so much admiration for teachers it's such a hard job and it's so my mother taught yeah. 50 something years and so I've had that that viewpoint on the impact a teacher makes it's giant it's just amazing and of course they don't get paid because they're women mostly so we've got that issue shows up in teaching right right teachers nurses right and um i really like teaching but i didn't like living in upstate new york and my family was in california by then so when i moved to california there was a period in the mid-70s when there was a glut of teachers Hmm. and i couldn't find a job in the bay area And as a brilliant move, I went to law school. But at the time, I thought I would be a public defender, so a more do-gooder thing. Or in the end, when I realized that wasn't going to work for me because some people were guilty and I just couldn't get my head around defending people who I thought were guilty. So I had planned to go work in Washington, D.C. for what was then HEW, Health Education and Welfare, now the Department of Education. And that was my plan. And I worked on with professors in law school who talked about school vouchers and school busing and how to improve education for those in poverty. So that's kind of what I did. Mm-hmm. Wasn't necessarily girls, but it was sort of, I call it my do-gooder stuff. <laughs> and that's what I planned to do. So one of the one of my themes about women, which I is that I feel like my whole career was an accident, that I wasn't intentional about it. And so to me, to be intentional about the rest of my life is a really important mm-hmm. thing. I don't know if I think that women are taught not to be intentional. I, I don't know that I think that. I think maybe we're taught to put ourselves after other people. And maybe that somehow works with being intentional. But in any case, uh, in my second year of law school, at the end of my second year of law school, I met my husband at a party and he was about to leave for DC. 
to go work for the government. He is a do-gooder. He has a degree in public policy and he didn't leave because of me. I see. Because I was still in law school and he wasn't going to leave me. Mm. And we decided to get married. In the meantime, he got a job in San Francisco that he really liked. And all of his friends who were in D.C. were pretty unhappy. And the Republicans were about to be in charge. And they were all trying to leave when I was looking for a job. Okay. And so we had to, I don't know that we negotiated this, but I think we agreed that we weren't going to D.C., which was our plan. Mm -hmm. And I had to find a job in San Francisco because he had one that he liked. I see. And I couldn't find a public interest job at that time in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And so I went to a liberal law firm. <laughs> and I said I would be a litigator because I only knew what that was. You went to court. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what we all know about <laughs> lawyers. We see it on TV, right? Yeah. And I went and I started doing that. And when they would put me on these lawsuits that were going to be gigantic and go for years, I thought, oh, this really stinks. Mm-hmm. And I said, what else is there? And they said, oh, corporate work. And I said, okay, I'll do that. What is it? Mm-hmm. I literally had no idea. <laughs> and so I feel like my whole career was kind of, okay. And they assigned me to this like terrible partner and I was doing very poorly. And then some other partner who was very quick and smart sort of picked me up. And one thing about me is I'm a really fast learner mm-hmm. and I catch on really quick. And for him, that was critical. Mm-hmm. And so even though I was like about to be booted out, I think he took me on and he Mentor. thought I was good. Mm-hmm. And then I ultimately ended up working with pharmaceutical and biotech companies. And one could debate this issue, which I did with my colleagues a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, they do bad things in the world, but they do do great things and they do invent products that save people's lives mm, so and that's so to you me got yourself into that's how life. I could deal with it because I would help them raise money and the money would fund the development of a new biotech product because mm-hmm. those were very new at the time and it made patients mm. healthy or you know well cured people I mean they were working on terrible cancers and you know so that was kind of how I ended up in corporate America, which I never intended to stay in. So are you seeing that, what you just shared, this sort of arc of moving through a career path and responding to what comes up, you know, through marriage, through family, through different opportunities. I mean, that seems to be what most people that I know experience. Most people or most women. Okay. Interesting. Women. Women. Right. right, they're right. they're they're um, in relationship to it and adjusting to things as they go along versus that's what I'm going to be and I'm just going to go for it. Right, right. That's the thing. That's interesting. I've never thought about. That's it. what I think that women, and I think it comes if you go back. Okay, I don't know. So I love to read, and I I don't know if you've read it yet, but this funny book called uh, Lessons in Chemistry. I have not. It's his, it's hysterical and Worth women. Oh my God. It's amazing. But the woman in it is, you know, probably 25, 30 years older than I am. And so it does frame for women that in fact, we have come a long way, but if you, if you go back to the period before me, but even during me, a lot of women who got married, married a man who was not their age or not younger, but a little bit older Mm -hmm. and being a little bit older, they were a little bit farther ahead in their career or they'd started to make those decisions. And so already you can see that you're along for the ride Mm because they're, they're ahead of you. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and even my husband, who's actually almost a year younger than me, but he went straight to graduate school from college, he got a job first, right? So I was still in law school and he got a job. And now I'm asking, I would have been asking him to give up right. his job and move That's across the country, with, right? So there's just these subtle, mm -hmm. it's kind of the same thing that I was saying about the business structure. There are these structural things that push uh, women or nudge kind of says it all. Mm -hmm. Do you find that your girls, cause so your girls are younger than I'm kind of between your girls and you are, are still experiencing that along for the ride. Oh, I thought you were my age, Catholic. Come on. No, <laughs> uh, I can go in either direction. I, so my oldest daughter didn't go to college and she doesn't work. And Mm -hmm. So definitely she lives in a, the old structure of the husband yeah. works, the price of money. It makes me crazy in a lot of ways for all women, not just my own daughters. Cause I think you being lose your financially power, you have to be financially independent and financially Absolutely. savvy. And I mean, when I see, thing. we got to emphasize this. Oh this my way. God. Yes. I mean, I see women my age or in their sixties getting divorced and they don't know where the money is. They don't know how much there is. It's just terrifying because at this point it's avoidable. You, you can get the information you need to have it. So, so and then, and my second one, I think has a more equal relationship. And mm -hmm. I think if either one of them wanted to move for a job, it would be an equal, a more mm -hmm. equal discussion. Mm -hmm. They don't have children yet, or I, you know, maybe they won't, I don't know. That is also another time point where everything can shift because the patterns and the structures we have in our society are for, for the mom. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely did that. When I stayed home on maternity leave, I took on all the cooking, all the shopping, yes. all oh, the bill, yes. all the everything. Yes. Like the concept that no, my no, job is being well, no. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. And then my youngest isn't married yet, but I truly believe that if she does get married, it will be a much more equal relationship. It seems that way to me for the women younger. And so it makes me feel like because they have more ability to make money, that they're starting to have starting. It's this is not across the board. Some right. educated women who are able to get their careers going seem to have at least equal power in marriage. It, that's what and, I'm but and so there, you and I know some people in common. A lot of them therefore decide not to do what you did, which is start in corporate America and then step out, but that they're not really going to be in it to begin with. They're not going to, they're yes. going to be more entrepreneurial. They're going to, uh, or they're going to do it, but they're not going to work as crazy people yes, like I did, mm -hmm. but when they're exposed to, so this is a conversation that I had with my kids about, you know, they would say, oh, you're such a feminist. And there was a long period when being a feminist was an ugly word. Now that one of them in particular has been <laughs> working for a while in corporate America, and she had to deal with the people in the C-suite, the CEO, the CFO, the mm -hmm. general counsel, she would come and tell me about her interactions with the people in the C-suite. And she would say, those are terrible jobs. Why would anyone want to be the general counsel? And I wish I had a picture of the time that mm -hmm. I was sitting across from my daughter. And she said, oh, wait, what? 
you were you one. were general counsel <laughs> and she had to like rejigger so her brain about how mm-hmm. i did that and wait how could i have done that because i'm not like those people and you could mm. see her trying to figure that all out but i think her response is i don't want to be that mm. i don't want to make those choices because they're too hard they're too ugly they they're too much sacrifice so and so i think that's part of my issue of we have to change the structures because she has so much to contribute yes but she's not willing to pay the price because the price is too high mm-hmm. and it is high it is high it's and, very high. and that's where i'd like to your own children is one thing but i think i would like to encourage women to try to do it but intentionally so that they don't pay such a high price. I love that for you. And that, that is, you know, one of the things that I think is so important is that we have women who've gone a little bit further than we have just a little bit further down the path to help guide us, to help give us information. Right. And I, I find women that just are a little bit further, not way ahead to be the most beneficial for me. Right. It's like, they have literally just walked through the thing that I'm walking through either in their career. So, you know, right now I'm really interested in talking to people who are parenting adult children. I'm right on the edge of that. It's a whole different beast. Nobody talks about it. Nobody, nobody. And my mom is too far away from it. Right. Cause she's been doing this for a long time. So I'm like, where are the women who know how to shift into being a parent of an adult child? Right. My book club, we talk about it all the time. Great. So you need to find people who are in their 60s and 70s. Yes, exactly. My children might tell you that I'm not doing it that well. I don't know. <laughs> but it's a whole different skill set, right? Because we're renegotiating the relationship based on the fact that we're both adults. And so far in my life, I mean, I have a 17 and a 21 year old. So I'm just in the beginning of this. I failed miserably. I mean, I have not done this right. There's been oh, times. See, I- that's a much easier than when they're in their late 20s or 30s. Okay. See, but I is, think, but this is a conversation that doesn't happen that often because we're living in this siloed world where, right. you know, once a woman is retired, she's trying to figure out how to give back to the world. If she's somebody like you and there's women who need her wisdom. Right. And so I don't think we do a very good job in our culture of facilitating this shared wisdom. I've always had this like visual of, many people, all different ages of women sitting around while one holds the baby and someone tells the story of how they were successful at work. That does, I don't see that happening. I really don't. Not in my I think world. it's, well, for example, my book club has been around for 20 some years Amazing. and we've met through thick and thin, but we started when most of us had children about the same age. Some weren't married and didn't ever have children, but we are all within a five, six, seven year age group I think and so we have the same same issues at the same time that's a whole different well that's nice I mean when I got out of college the big thing was women's consciousness raising groups yes especially out here so I was in one of those I bet you were (laughs) but that was like more sexual revolution the birth control pill you know all those things so that was a kind of a different thing than you're talking about you were doing women's consciousness raising in Berkeley in Palo Alto the year before I went to law school. Okay, that must have been <laughs> that was pretty crazy. We talk about that, that was pretty crazy. <laughs> uh, anyway, some of the people in this really weird group with me be- went on to be pretty 
to be pretty well known in the Bay Area. One of them became a pretty well-known headhunter. But to your point, I think it was a period and people did it. And I imagine there's some groups that stayed together, but mostly it was a sort of a one-shot, maybe six-month, 12-month thing. And then people just went off. I would have loved to have stayed with that somehow. Yes. So wait, it was, uh, but, was it formed around an issue or? No, they were oh. just, there was just this thing. I don't even know how people found out about it. There was no internet, yeah. but it was consciousness raising groups. It mm. was in the, in the mid seventies. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have to Google it and see what it says about them. Well, it, I think it was mostly on? fueled by the pill and the sexual revolution, okay. honestly. Amazing. And there was a lot of man bashing for sure. Okay. But then when I went to law school, that's kind of its own. That was the commonality. Yeah. yeah. But, and then, but like in, uh, now I'm relocated to Sonoma County and I tried to, I started a book club. And the most exciting thing to me was when a 50, no, she's not 50, she's in her 40s, a 40 year old person joined with more people who are older. And I wish so much that we could find a few more younger women because it's just completely different. Yes. yes. It's just completely different. But I don't even know how you find those people. I don't know either. They're halfway between me and my kids and they're probably working and managing families and maybe now dealing with older parents. Right. Which is another whole... You're talking about all the different places where women get relocated into them, their different roles that they somehow end right. up being responsible for, like getting married, having babies. And this is a huge one, taking care of parents. Right. And, and I see people writing about this as a sandwich generation now, but mm-hmm. I think I was that too, because I had my kids a little bit later and my parents were sick when my kids were still the age of your kids. So you were so, doing that parent taking care of parents and mm-hmm. kids at the same time mm-hmm. and working. Not just, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You need a support system. And I think in our country, because we move around so much too, I think, I don't know, cause I don't know people who live in Europe, but I travel a lot and I feel like sometimes there's just more geographically built in support systems where families live several generations in the same area at least so they can support one another Mm -hmm. but we don't really have that no we don't we're so individualistic we drive into our garage and come into our house and that's how we that's how we operate yeah I'm with you I I think more community like true community is is a big part of the answer but it's you know as you know it's challenging to create that and I think you know, going back to my, yes, I do a lot of things outside the corporation, but I think yeah. it could be done in a corporation. When my kids were little, there was a big move to have daycare centers right. in corporations. I think that's totally gone now. Mm-hmm. It just was never economically that successful in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. But having that or having, you know, schools where there's also medical, nursing care, nutrition, mm-hmm. uh, family help like yes you know situation just you you have to build it around things that we have and mostly we have schools Mm -hmm. and companies right and so it they just need to be somehow I guess that's maybe what I'm thinking about with a different structure Mm. I look forward to seeing where this thinking goes I don't know it's just because who's gonna do it are the retired people like me gonna help set it up maybe 
maybe some 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 of you have a lot of energy and a lot of wisdom to share because women but, just need so much more support if they're going to do change things that's right well okay that's a good point how do we get the support in to make the change there's multiple layers to that question right? and it's not that men can't participate or don't want to participate but if we don't know what's needed mm -hmm. really do they know no 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 but something ha something is going to have to shift right and that's well, what we're talking about something has yeah. to shift or we we stay in these systems that are not sustainable they're extractive I mean, we're seeing the ripple effect of this now. This is not just an abstract conversation. There's a reason that something needs to change the way we're doing well, and it. And if more people opt out of the systems, then the whole American capitalistic system, which is supposed to support the world, it doesn't work anymore if people aren't willing to participate in it. Mm -hmm. And it does have some strengths, some. Right. Well, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> <laughs> what's happening with capitalism right maybe we'll but, save that for the next conversation yeah okay maybe your um, next kind of venture yeah we, yes we can talk again I I'm curious if you had the opportunity to speak to a young professional woman just you know who maybe was in the beginning of her career just from the heart what do you think is important for women who are working in positions like you have just moved through to know you need to affirmatively define what things are important to you not just the job the career and that could be the traits you operate under or it could be supporting other people or it could be making sure that men don't push me aside and then i'm always at the table it could be anything but and it should be more than one thing, but somehow keeping those things in mind when you're mm. not just making big decisions, but operating on a day-to-day -day basis and choosing, mm. I always have lists, choosing which things you do on your list. Mm. That's a way of intentionally operating with your own values, because if you don't keep those in mind, which I think I didn't, uh, you end up doing some of the things that are important to you, but not as many and not because you chose or didn't choose, but just because of where they were on your list or what amount of time you thought you had today. So I think really, and so many tools now for, I think some of the tools for living and even when people were working at home, people had to do that because their family life was intruding. Mm -hmm. And so how could you how did you choose? Were you taking time for lunch? I mean, these are so even silly things. Did you take time for lunch? Right. Did you take time to go to the bathroom? That Obviously, was, sometimes yeah. I would forget I to do that. I know. Um, and if you were going to take time for lunch, okay, yes, it takes two extra minutes, but find a woman, plan ahead to have lunch with mm -hmm. a, a younger woman or a different someone in a different group or someone who needs support or someone who you could mentor because the male executives weren't doing that so it, it's they're doing it but pretty much with men and they're doing that. it like outside like like what you said at golf or something like that right so, so you can first do, thing, be really intentional about who you are and, and then what things are important to you mm -hmm. even as you live in the corporate world mm. There's a way so, that I like to work with yeah. people on this that I'll share that I think could be actually helpful. I hadn't thought about it applied here, but it's like, what do you prefer? 
you know, I want to have an office with a view of the bay, right? That that would be a preference. What are your standards, right? I need to do work that is service oriented, right? And then what are your hard no's? Like, I won't do this. These are absolute, if these things come up, I'm not going to do it. And then you're constantly measuring opportunities, decisions, and even how you spend your time based on those three categories so that you're trying to get the standards met all the time. So for me, just with my personality, yeah. hard no's are easy. I don't have to ever think about it because <laughs> I just don't do them. They don't happen. Well, good Off for you. That is not but, the case with everybody. That is right. it. No, right. Well, and so, but you can't say to people, be strong. Your personality is what it is, right? It, but that's, so, the, that's yeah. your strength. Some that's, people yes. don't have that hard no built in. They're willing to wobble. Yeah. And then they need support. Yeah. And then they need support. But for me, like, I always have a to-do list and I have to say, I never would look at my to-do list in terms of what's, yes, if it's a crisis, it goes to the top of the to-do list, but then there was a really long to-do list and I probably chose based on how many things could I do fastest so I cross more things off the list. Mm -hmm. As opposed to which things are valuable, which things are more important. I still do that today. Which are aligned. I, I didn't realize that I'm actually a procrastinator and there are things I procrastinate about. Mm. And if you had asked me if I was a procrastinator, I would have said no, for sure you probably not. Couldn't do Look it. at all the things I do. And but then which things are on the list, I would have said, oh, they're all the unimportant things. Mm. But now I see that. Well, sometimes that was the case, but sometimes it was, they were the hardest things mm -hmm. because now I find when I'm retired and I have more time, I still procrastinate about some things. <laughs> and a lot of it is because they're the hard things and it's easier to cross more things off your list. Because mm. If you're a type A person, the mm -hmm. quantity counts, but it doesn't really count at all. It's all and so doing the things that are most important. And I would, I would get that feedback loop. Because when I did the important things, the things that are important to me in work, like if I would help lead a backpack drive or I would help do a Habitat for Humanity project or all of those things where logically I really didn't have time for those. But when I did those, they were the most rewarding things and they, they were the times you. when I, right. And when I had contact with people and, and made relationships with other people in the company who weren't necessarily the people I always saw, those I, and I would get that feedback, but somehow I would cut that loop off because I wasn't intentional enough about those things. But you said enough. it earlier, there just wasn't enough energy to expand into those. Right. And what I couldn't see, didn't see was that those were the things that gave me energy. So you have to, mm -hmm. you have to do the things that build your energy. And those are the things you care about most. Mm -hmm. And you know, what I can't figure out about the structure and why I want to think about that going forward is, but being a corporate lawyer or a general counsel in the corporate structure was not in itself the thing that or gave me energy. It was draining. And, and yet energy. you stayed there. I because stayed you there. You were making the money for the family and building your career. And uh, this is and, really I, and if you're successful and people tell you what a great job you're doing, there is some, you know, there's some... Mm -hmm. Maybe because changing would have been too hard, right? I think like having this conversation with someone like you that women can hear, like you're, you're telling a really important story, which is don't let it take over. Make what sure- What do you want? 
yeah, and, and you are entitled to have what you want, at least some of what you want, or the most important at all times, not mm -hmm. later, not someday, not when your kids are grown, not when you retire. You, you now, need to find a way to have it all along. Right. I think. Right. So how has retirement been? Let's let's end on retirement because I think this is also a huge topic that doesn't get discussed. So I think for me, retirement's been really hard. Mm -hmm. Now you can throw COVID in to the mix as a problem, but when I retired, I hadn't planned to retire. I just retired. And then I kind of in the back of my mind thought I would go back to work, mm -hmm. but I didn't. And so uh, I started retirement just the way I did everything else with a long list of projects. <laughs> and the projects were, oh gosh, look at our house. No one's painted it in a million years and some of the furniture has holes. That, those were easy though, but I can jump oh. into a project and take care of it. So project one was that fix good. up the house. Mm -hmm. Project two was, why do we have this big house? <laughs> Let's sell this big house and move, right? Okay, that was project two move back to San Francisco. Oh, wow. The weather here is really bad. Project three, buy a little vacation retirement home. Project four, my dad got sick. Project five, my mother got sick. And all of a sudden it was Plenty. three, four years later. I hadn't again been intentional about what I wanted to do. You were serving everybody. And then COVID came. Mm. And so then we were kind of shut down. And, and so only now, 10 years later, 10 years later, mm. I'm thinking, okay, if I'm going to be intentional in my life, it better be now. I love it. Because there aren't that many millions of years left. And so I, I feel like I'm learning, trying to learn now the lessons that I would hope other women would learn. Of course, we teach all along the learn. way. Yeah, we teach what we need to learn. Absolutely. And so one of my favorite things I did do during this period, pre-COVID, I started it, was coach a woman general counsel. Mm -hmm. And that was my, one of my favorite things I did mm -hmm. just because it was true. One of the things you, like where you said, what are your no's? I would say, what are the things that you must do for me? The must do's are pretty easy. Mm -hmm. Stand up to a board of directors, mm -hmm. take your place at the table. Don't let people push mm -hmm. you around. Mm -hmm. A lot of women have a lot more trouble with those things than I do. Mm -hmm. Although I pay a price because when people don't like me, then, you know, I, I, I'm not happy about that either. But, but you're not here trying to belong and fit in. That's not the story of your life. No, no, no. And so it makes it easy to do a lot of things that some people have trouble with. So if I can support other people in that and let them know that you can do that and still be okay. And yes, people will still like you. Maybe not everyone will like you, but everyone won't like you if you're mushy either. Belonging so is you, overrated, I think. Right. Could you teach that skill set? I think so. Or yeah. encourage it at least. How do you show up and take your place at the table? That would be a really great seminar. I think I'm, so. I'm voting for you to teach that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. If you can help me find a place to teach it, that'll be great. It's great. Um, and, you know, and I try to do it. I mentor a couple of young women in Sonoma County, and mm -hmm. I would like to do more of that. Mentorship um, is important. And just to give people a place to talk about things. And then I have my whole little... I'll call it my side business, but it's mostly with my kids' friends. You know, in in the course of my career, I've worked in pretty much every area of the law. I'm not an expert in every area of the law, but I had so much interaction with finances and benefits and human resources and 
for a while, I ran the uh, finance department at my company because the CFO left and it was, wow. that was really interesting for me because I am not a finance person. Uh, and so usually if someone has something that they think is a legal issue, I know something about it or I know where to send them. And so I help my kids and all their friends every time they get a job <laughs> offer, if they want to leave a job or, but I love doing it. And one of them wanted to help start a business and I could say to them, okay, okay. here are all the places that are going to be issues. How are you going to deal with them? That's amazing. And I have time to give those people now. And so I'm happy to do it. Mm. Um, Definitely. And again, it's sort of teaching and mentoring. So it's going back, it's going back to my first career, which maybe was also not intentional, but a better fit maybe. maybe. Uh, but I think that our world operates, our US world operates on capitalism and right. that system. And if you, it, you can't just ignore it no. because then it just eats you up mm -hmm. and spits you out mm -hmm. one way or another. Right. Even if you think you're outside it, you're not. <laughs> We're all swimming in the water. I don't think I knew that since when I went to the law firm, I said, what's corporate law? I don't think I had any idea. Mm -hmm. I think the kids today are smarter in some ways, more Just different. Kind of, I think a bit more resilient, but also a little more jaded about the world and cynical. They're dealing with a lot. Yeah. They have a lot. So. Ancient voices. That's it for this episode of Magnolia Leadership Podcast. Having you here is such a blessing. As a Magnolia woman, we are leading from our deep aligned power to bring our full bloom to ourselves and our gifts to the world. If you're inspired by this podcast, I invite you to share it with someone or leave a review. Sign up for our newsletter or one of Magnolia Leadership's upcoming in-person or online offerings at magnolialeadershipco.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, so much love to you.